we think true innovation is is not happening in the outdoor industry and in the textile industry. The textile industry, there's been no innovation since the invention of PTFE back in the 80s when Gore-Tex developed it. I mean, there's, and that's truly the last time of innovation. We believe core construction is the next version of you know, true textile innovation that's been seen in the market since the invention of Gore-Tex. Welcome to the Gear.com show. This is Brig Graff with Gear.com. Today we're speaking with Dustin English, the founder of Vormi. Vormi is a, a very high-end base and mid-layer clothing company for the outdoors. Dustin himself is a guide up in Denali in Alaska, and his family uh, comes from a lot of past history heritage at Mossy Oak, if you're familiar with them. So they definitely know how to make great quality product. What's particularly interesting about Vormi, and we'll get into this with Dustin, is that they have focused a lot on the actual technical innovation right here in the U.S. on what happens at the weave level with the fabrics that they're, they're using. They're not just taking yet another fabric that every other company has and slapping their label on it. This is true innovation down at the weave and the cut and sew level. So very excited to bring to you today's podcast with Dustin English from Bormi. Well, uh, hey, thanks for, for meeting up, Dustin. And uh, like I say, for those who, who are watching the vid and that beautiful picture behind you, that I'm guessing is an actual picture you took up in Denali, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. So big, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on today. It's uh, super exciting to you know have Vormi on on Gear.com as a platform and continuing to uh, you know get the brand out there to new folks and new audiences. And and uh, yeah, I thought this you know picture on the background was super appropriate. It's, it's one that I took actually at the base camp up Denali. We woke up, we had traveled all night. Uh, to get back to the airstrip after a 21-day expedition and just landed there. And, and uh, so I, I guide for Alaska Mountaineering School. So this is a guided trip that I was leading. And, you know, we got to the airstrip right at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And instead of setting up tents, we just rolled sleeping bags right out and was ready to, uh, you know, catch that first plane that took off. And, uh, yeah, and I kind of picked this picture just because I felt it was appropriate as like this is really where Vormi was born. You know, was in these mountains doing these kind of trips with these kind of people. And uh, so I thought it, it really kind of helped set the stage for our conversation today. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, and the name Vormi is about like this this beast from the Arctic, uh, which is basically you, right? A beast from the Arctic, right? Yeah, to some degree. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, if you kind of, there's a couple different layers to it. I think the bigger picture, it's this, you know, race of, you know, bipedal creatures that lived in sort of modern day Greenland that, that really, you know, used their natural environments to thrive and, and, uh, and perform well in the environments they're in. And we draw a lot of similarities to these, you know, these Bormies as there are, as you mentioned, kind of a Yeti-like creature. And so if you envision a, uh, you know, a mountain guide or a ski guide or somebody that just chases the storms, you know, they're usually a tall bearded guy that lives in their truck. But then, you know, as, as Vormi is a brand, you know, we too are sourcing things from our local regions, from, you know, domestic wool to domestic manufacturing and really building, you know, quality gear using our local resources to help perform in the environments that we're in every day. And that is these, you know, mountain, mountain style, you know, mountain lifestyles. Yeah. So I'd love to talk with you a bit about that in particular, which is interesting to me about Vormi. Uh, it's American manufacturer, American design. You use a lot of American wool in the products you create, and we'll get a little bit into the technical discussion in just a, a, a little bit here about how the construction is unique. But talk to us about the American manufacturing bit, because that, that's kind of a key piece of what you do, right? Yeah, totally. So I'll, I'll back up just, just a little bit. So, you know, I mean, 
you know, growing up, you know, I've always grew up in the outdoors. Uh, you know, my folks and, you know, start, started skiing, you know, before I could walk and grew up outside of Boulder, Colorado. And so I was just kind of immersed in the outdoor industry, you know, from day one and, and, uh, and really fell, fell a passion for that. And, um, and so as, you know, graduated high school, I moved to Alaska right out of high school and, uh, and went to college in Anchorage and, and ended up getting a, uh, a degree in outdoor studies, you know, which a lot of my friends would call just glorified summer camp to some degree. And, uh, and through, you know, during the time in college, I really, you know, started, started climbing in the Alaska range. And then, uh, and then shortly after started guiding in the Alaska range as well. And, and then really had this new sort of, you know, perspective on, on what quality gear means and how it can truly allow you to, you know, perform better than what you could with, you know, not so quality gear, you know, at the time. Uh, so my dad, Dan, he, uh, he was one of the founders of Masio Camouflage. And um, I'm sorry, one of the owners of Moscow Camouflage. And so we, you know, he also was heavily into the outdoor industry as well. And so, so sort of with our powers combined, we really, you know, was spending a lifetime of traveling to remote destinations from Alaska to I did a, a stint, a season down in Antarctica guiding as well. And, and throughout, you know, various places in the West, you know, that he was taking folks hunting guiding. And we really, you know, felt a passion that we needed to, you know, carry less gear we needed to have, you know, the same piece of gear that could perform whether I'm on Denali or if I'm chasing ducks down in, you know, wherever, Eastern Texas or Eastern Colorado. And um, and so that's what sort of really set the premise for, you know, the foundation of Vormi is like we needed to build better gear and we needed to take less of it. And, um, and so that's what sort of set the foundation for that. And then through that, you know, there's a ton of great quality outdoor brands out there, performance apparel brands. And so we really needed to, you know, stand out in the market that is today. And so, you know, we found a couple of different pillars that we run to really position Vormi on. And, and one of those is, you know, American manufacturing, USA made, American design, and then as well as trying to source, you know, as local as we possibly can, and then manufacturing as local as we possibly can. And so, you know, through that, it's, it, uh, you know, the American made, everybody from day one was like, you guys are nuts. You know, it's going to take four times as long, four times more expensive. The quality is not going to be nearly as good. And you could be, you know, in business, you know, three years earlier than what you wanted to do. Yeah, and and that's exactly it's something that I think is, is confusing for a lot of people to look at something like Vormi. And it is a quality, quality piece. And it is a unique, unique design. I mean, you got like waterproof wool, for, for example. And people would say that, well, the only place for that sort of manufacturing supply chain and that whole manufacturing ecosystem would be in Asia and use kind of a South Pacific wool. And to, to think of an American-made product like that that can come out at the price point that Vormi has, which is a totally reasonable spot for it, is a surprise for a lot of people. So how did you guys make that work? Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it's been a labor of love for sure and a commitment. And, uh, and so, you know, we started the brand officially in 2010 and really spent the first, you know, almost three years developing the supply chain and then as well as our fabric you know, platforms that we wanted to basically build garments off of as well. And so for those first three years, you know, we, like I said, we developed the supply chain, keeping it internal and, and in the United States. And then meanwhile, part of the pillars that we needed to stand out in the marketplace is, you know, we wanted to develop our own fabrics. And so today, I mean, almost, you know, 98% of the brands out there, you know, go to one factory, they look at a book, they pick the fabrics they want, they leave, the next brand comes into that same factory, that factory is like, well, this guy just bought all these. So why don't you buy these in blue? And then that's just how so much of, you know, innovation happens in the outdoor industry. And we said, you know, that's, you know, absolutely not the way to spell innovation, not the way to stand out in the marketplace. And so, and so we made it even more difficult for ourselves by, 
cooking up all of our own textiles in house. And, uh, and so through that, you know, we, you know, we knew that that was going to be sort of the key differentiator between us. And then we also knew we needed to develop our own in-house cut and sew capabilities to help drive the quality that we demanded domestically. And so we knew that if we could build it in-house to the quality that we want, that somebody else in the States could also do that. And so we were sort of the proof of concept internally. And so that's what we did. So we developed, you know, eight proprietary fabric platforms ranging from some of the lightest weight wool fabric on the market to, you know, some of the warmest, most burliest fabrics that you can even imagine. And then as well as today, we have our own, we have two of, of our own company owned, you know, cut and sew locations, one here in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, where I am. And then our other second one that we opened about a year ago in uh, Bozeman, Montana. And, um, you know, both crank out, you know, great volume and we do all of our sample making design development there. And then we do have, you know, some other contracted partners all here in the United States that we use for, you know, other production runs as well. I mean, it's really interesting from a sustainability perspective, too, if you have all of the manufacturing, all the textile, all the cut and sew here in the U.S., Absolutely. you're burning wasteful fuel taking trips back and forth across the ocean that are unnecessary, right? That, I mean, you're taking entire legs, not just legs, but entire lengths of, of fuel and carbon out of the supply chain. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, actually Backpacker Magazine a few years ago did an interesting write-up comparing sort of a domestic supply chain highlighting Borme to a more, you know, Asia-based supply chain. And the amount of, uh, you know, just carbon footprint that is involved in either one is, is staggering. And, um, and you're absolutely right. And we really felt that, you know, more importantly, well, not necessarily more importantly, but equally as important is the speed to market. And so for us, you know, we develop textiles in the U.S. And so therefore, you know, we go to the East Coast or wherever our knitter is, have that fabric. And then we take it, you know, right to our cut and sew facility here in Pagosa. We make a few garments and then we take those garments that afternoon. We go up to Wolf Creek Pass, which has some of the most snow in the lower 48. And we test that garment that afternoon. You know, I'm the one of our key photographers for the brand. So then I also, you know, shoot photos the next day and then we could have it for sale next week. And, and so being able to have the speed to market that we do by keeping things domestic and in-house is, is by far, you know, super important to us. And has really helped, you know, keep us a foot ahead of the game as, you know, other brands are trying to innovate on the next color of blue. So how does that, how does that change kind of the old school vibe of, pre-season booking of orders so right. that you can have a manufacturing cycle overseas and have it time to ship back. I mean, that that puts you guys in a lot more agile position. Does that change some of your relationship with uh, retailers or relationship with the way you want to release different seasons of product? Absolutely. It, uh, it makes, you know, uh, you know, folks like yourself, gear.com, you know, rather challenging to work with brands like Vormi, just because we aren't necessarily filling containers full of Asia and shipping over thousands of pieces. And so we, you know, we make something, we sell out, and then we make the next batch and sell out. And that cycle might be, you know, every couple months versus, you know, a few times a year. And we also believe that, you know, all of our products need to stand the test of time. And so we, you know, wholeheartedly believe in building durable, long-lasting gear, you know, things that, that don't become irrelevant from season to season to season. And, uh, and so therefore, you know, the hoodies that we have available last year, you know, they're the same hoodies that we have available today. We might've released new colors, but it's still, it's still a quality piece, still performance fit and, and it's still, you know, relevant in today's world. And, um, and so through that, it's been kind of one of our other key pillars, you know, amongst 
amongst as the brand as we've developed it. I mean, I think that does two additional things for you. You know, number one, it reduces waste generally that mm -hmm. happens in the industry. But the other, which is really interesting for, uh, you know, a retailer is that that helps reduce the likelihood of a bunch of clearance product hitting the market and having downward pressure on prices, right? Because the minute you send sell a big order to a retailer, they are monetarily incentivized to start selling the heck out of that as fast as they can, which at some point means that they want to start chopping the price on that to clear it out. And that ends up doing battle with all your other retail partners while also you know downward pressure on your own you know price of product when you're selling direct too right absolutely it really does and so we you know we drive a pretty strict mat policy and so you never see any of our warming products on sale including us internally and we do that because we believe that you know it's like i said it's relevant from year to year and it, and it should hold up to that durability and then also almost makes you know warming products almost a, a commodity to some degree you know people really understand or starting to learn especially our customers that you know it's a batch processes and so they they know now that as soon as we release the next batch they need to jump on it and, and run away otherwise you know we'll see them on ebay being a bidding war you know, for this certain garment because they don't make them anymore, you know? And, um, and so it truly does. And then from, from the waste point of view, I mean, so we, you know, as we make stuff, you know, then we take, you know, as you lay your pattern pieces out and we cut it, we take that, you know, waste that doesn't fit into say a hoodie. And then we make all of our accessories out of it, you know, like the gators we have on today. And, and so yeah. we're, our waste is super, super small because we're able to really utilize so much of our fabrics due to the, you know, the wide variety of performance from them. And so, yeah, our customers have truly, you know, become to, to recognize that, you know, these batch mentalities and that, you know, every time we release something new, they got to get on it right away because it, you know, may or may not come back. And when it does, it might be slightly different. And uh, it's truly been been pretty cool from that degree. That's great. And we're going to get to talking about that unique Vormi customer in just, a, in just a few here because it is a different sort of customer. If you want to just look like a clone wearing the same fleece vest that every other dude walking down Market Street in San Francisco is wearing, well, then, yeah, there's a thousand other brands you can go pick from for that. The Vormi customer is a very different customer and is extremely discerning. And we, we always like to say that gear.com is for outsiders. And so the gear.com customer is someone who's extremely thoughtful about the sort of brands that they support. They're thoughtful about the designers and the athletes and the people behind that brand. And it's, it's not just buying it because it's, uh, you know, what every other neighbor on their street is, is wearing. So let's talk a little bit about the actual core construction and the wool and, and, and what it is that makes the fabrics and material design of Wormy different from everything else that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so as I mentioned, we have eight proprietary, you know, textile uh, platforms that we've developed in house, uh, several patents and, and, and trademarks and you, you name it throughout the way, um, ranging, like you mentioned to, you know, super ultralight next to skin pieces, like what you would find in our river run hoodie, which is, you know, some of the lightest weight wool fabric on the market continues to win, you know, gear of the year awards from various publications. And, and what's fascinating about that is, you know, we have a lot of like Grand Canyon river guys that are wearing wool when it's 130 out in the Grand Canyon. And it's just, you know, mind boggling that, you know, people are like, I'm going to wear a wool hoodie in the Grand Canyon. It's like, oh yeah. And then you got all these outdoor professionals that swear by it day after day. And we can go through all of our fabric platforms and show examples that way. So we've, you know, lightweight, and then we do more of a base layer type fabric, and then we have more of our, our mid layers. And then once we get to the mid layers, we start getting into the more, you know, extremely durable and then water resistant garments as well. 
And, uh, and core construction that you mentioned is sort of our holy grail of fabric you know, technology that we've developed. And this is a completely revolutionary way to construct a waterproof breathable garment or, your, or an outerwear textile or really you know, any textile to that degree. And what we've done is you think about your traditional you know, three-layer laminate garment, right, or, or fabric. You got the inner, you got the outer, and you got the membrane, and then you take all that heat, glue, and pressure and stick it together. And you know, what, what have you done is you've stopped water, but you've stopped breathability, you've stopped comfort, you've stopped moisture transfer, and, and the list goes on. And so what we've done is actually during the knitting process, we insert in that water-protected membrane. If we punch a, a whole bunch of holes into it, and then a lot of our secret sauce is how we, you know, close those holes, reseal it, develop integrity into that garment, and then keep it as a single layer knit. And so our core construction outerwear actually has the same breathability as our mid layers with no fabric, but yet it blocks, you know, 98% of the wind and water and it has the same, you know, functionality and comfort as a fleece. And so we find like, you know, your Gore-Tex jacket or your waterproof jacket that you have in your closet today is really a, you know, a 5% of the time jacket. You only wear it 5% of the year, maybe. And that's in conditions where you really don't want to be outside. It's driving rain. You know, they, the way they measure waterproof breathable is like, well, can it hand up to Katrina? When am I going to be outside during Katrina? You know, I'm not. And if I am, I'm going to wear a rubber jacket. You know, I'm not going to wear a breathable jacket because I, I should be in waders at that point in time. And, uh, and so we believe in building a 98% garment something that you can wear 98% of the time. And then the other 2% of the time, you probably shouldn't be there anyways. And so the garment's not going to fail you, but it's very, very unlikely. And so, you know, so we drive a premium price product. And so we also believe in price per wear, you know, so if you're spending $600 on a jacket, you're going to wear twice a year. That's a pretty expensive cost per wear. You know, again, our stuff you can wear. I mean, I wear one of our outerwear jackets inside in the office all day. And then I go for a ski tour in the same jacket in the afternoon. And so that's a super economical way to you know, get the most out of your clothing that you wear. So yeah, so core construction, completely revolutionary way to actually construct textiles and insert in usable cores into a single layer knit and have it perform the same way as you would a, a traditional three layer laminate. Awesome. That's really helpful to, to, to talk through because there's, there's just a, there's been some innovation in the outerwear space, but Nothing quite like this, where it's going down to the weave, down to the textile, down to the actual construction of it uh, oh, yeah. to actually embed it there versus taking a, a newly built uh, technology and then putting it on top or something. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we go all the way to, you know, the type of yarns that we do to the, the twist that we put in the yarns, the type of combing that we put into it. I mean, we are, you know, all the way back to, you know, right at the ranch level when we're sourcing our materials. And so we source the wool, the poly, I mean, everything that goes into it. And, um, and so, you know, none of our fabrics today are 100% wool. And we do that very strategically. You know, the wool fibers inherently are weaker fiber. You know, it stretches out over time. It has a hard time pulling moisture off your body. It has a great opportunity in evaporating the moisture, but it's really not good at pulling moisture. And so that's why on, on all of our Nexus skin pieces, you know, we, we take a different approach where we actually lay in a polyester next to skin and then the wool on the outside. And so the wool fiber has a hydrophobic core, a hydrophilic exterior, a hydrophobic exterior and a hydrophilic core, meaning it's hard to get moisture into the wool. And so what the poly does is it does a great job of pulling moisture off the body and then injecting that in the wool fiber. And then the wool fiber does what it does great is evaporate it out of the garment. And so our blends are way different than, than most, whereas you know, a lot of brands take a cone of wool and a cone of poly and then spin that together to a single yarn and then knit the fabric. 
and you just dumb down both fibers. Whereas we start with 100% wool, and then for example, every third fiber on the inside is that poly, and then on our mid layers, we have that same approach, but then we add some nylon into the exterior to help with that durability and the longevity, you know, just because, you know, we don't know the uses that our customers are going to put our garments through. Yeah, that's very helpful. I mean, we believe that we're in this golden age of an emergence of new brands out there. There's a lot of brands that, you know, even our dads used to wear that are that are still out there. And oh. it's fun. It's fun to look at some of those heritage brands out there. But Vormi is one of those kind of golden age emerging brands uh, in recent years. And so um, love to hear a bit about how it is that your customer tends to be a little bit different and, and unique to uh, the typical customer out there, because there's there's kind of a, a, a certain sort of customer that, that gravitates toward Vormi. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we have a, a saying internally where we like to make competition irrelevant. And so everything that we do is, is all about, you know, we're not trying to chase, you know, what so-and-so is doing or whatever. We're, we're all about, you know, making competition irrelevant, staying in our lane of specificity and making the best gear possible. And so, and then we also believe that, you know, innovation truly comes from actually innovating, coming up with something that's never been done before to solve a need or a problem that's out there in the marketplace that can't be solved in any other way. So many outdoor brands today define innovation as the next color of blue. And we just think, you know, that there's just so, so much wrong with that. And so, you know, yes, there is, it's the golden age of amazing brands and there's, you know, outdoor brands that are doing amazing things. We think true innovation is, is not happening in the outdoor industry and in the textile industry. The textile industry, there's been no innovation since the invention of PTFE back in the 80s when Gore-Tex developed it. I mean, there's, and that's truly the last time of innovation. We believe core construction is the next version of you know true textile innovation that's been seen in the market since the invention of Gore-Tex. And, uh, and so with that, we often look outside the outdoor industry for true innovation, like Tesla, like SpaceX, you know, like what some of these guys are doing that you know, it's truly never been done before. They're solving a need to get internet, you know, gig internet speeds to rural communities because nobody else can figure out how to do it. That's innovation. Mm -hmm. Not how do I chase the next color? How do I make my garment cheaper? You know, that's what so many brands in the outdoor industry do. We think that's completely wrong. And so therefore we focus on, you know, truly innovating from a textile space. Back to your customer question. Our customer has, has come to develop or, or learn that, that they also generally, you know, adopters of early technologies they you know probably drive a tesla or i mean not or wish they could they appreciate teslas i wish i could drive a tesla but i don't but you know and uh it's a but they're early adopters of technology they understand that you know they're they're paying for quality goods that's going to last so they have high expectations for that but then furthermore we really focus on on following the water and so our you know we live in a small mountain town bozeman's a small mountain town and so we look at the professionals and the, the users that are there all day long and so we start in the wintertime. Those users are, are ski patrollers or ski guides or just avid skiers or, or winter people. The snow melts. And so then all of a sudden they, you know, go to higher elevations and become, you know, alpine climbing. And that's the season going on. They follow the migration to Alaska or, or South America or whatever. And so then that snow melts and then they become raft guides. Right. And so then those same folks, you know, stop and hang up the skis, go guide the Grand Canyon or whatever they're doing. The water drops there, they become fishing guides. Now they're fishing all year round, filling the freezer from fishing. All right, the water ended up and now we're hunting, right? And so now we're chasing, chasing elk here in the backyard, all, you know, subsistence, you know, all about the, you know, the experience of it, filling the freezer with the meat. 
And then, you know, fall comes around and the snow starts happening again. And so we believe that our customers, you know, embrace this life cycle where they can have one shirt to do all these activities. You know, and, and there's no other brands out there today that can, you know, market and have products that are applicable in all of those those segments. And um, and so our customer, you know, truly, truly, you know, believes that, you know, values the price of, of quality USA made gear that is truly, you know, innovated in the outdoor industry. I love that. I love that ethos about following the water because it really is. I, I find myself gravitating and have my whole life. I born and raised in Seattle. Uh, now live here in Utah, um, but I've found myself, but leaving next week for a trip to Oregon, that I have to gravitate between the the coast and the water and the rivers and uh, and the mountains. It's, it's just part of my vibe. I find I have to have that cycle in my life every year. Exactly. So why not, you know, have one hoodie that can do it all? That's, yeah, it can allow you to perform the best you can while you're, you know, chasing the elk or skiing or whatever you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to uh, kind of wrap up here and talk through how your business has been during COVID. I mean, we live in a, in a strange time right now, obviously, and we'd be curious to hear how, uh, how things have impacted you and the Vormi team. Yeah, you know, it, it is, you know, crazy times and turmoil, no doubt. And, and uh, you know, we're just trying to kind of, you know, keep up with current, you know, standards and protocols and make sure that everybody on the team is, is comfortable and safe at the best we can and, and try and stay attuned with it. And, and it's been it's been a challenging as well. As I mentioned, you know, we have two retail stores in different states and in different towns. And so those have their own regulations as well. And so we're trying to, you know, manage those as well. And then uh, but fortunately for Vormi, you know, as I mentioned before, we were already and we are today heavily a, a direct to consumer brand. And so we already had sort of a you know, digital footprint. We've got you know, a large distribution center that fills goods for us. And so we were sort of had a lot of the infrastructure, you know, set up to be, you know, digitally heavy focused brand. You know, and then with that, you know, as I mentioned, we're you know firm believers in you know technology adapters, you know, technology from you know early adopters that way. And so we really utilize technology already internally a lot to help with a uh, distributed you know company and, and and manufacturing capabilities as well. And so so internally, we we're pretty set up to kind of handle remote working and shutdowns and and that kind of thing. You know, from a product point of view. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we started selling gators in July, you know, which is just, you know, you know, unfathomable that we're selling thermal gators in July. So there was definitely some quick pivots that needed to be done to, you know, to, to keep that inventory high as people were you know, developing more face masks and coming it out. So we actually, you know, developed a new gator, which is called our everyday gator, which mm. is made from our base layer fabric. And so it's got that same poly next to skin and wool on the outside. And so we've got it, you know, it's. It's about as lightweight as you can get and still have the, the features that you need to with wearing a face covering, meaning you can't fog a mirror and you know miss a bottle through and that kind of thing. And so we've added, you know, kind of some loose ear loops to keep it in place. And what we like about our everyday gator is that it, it doesn't look like a surgical mask. It's easy to take on and off when you're going in and out of public places. And yeah. uh, this has been absolutely crucial for, for us around the COVID time. We initially, you know, built them internally just so for our employees and friends and family would have something to wear during these times. And then, and then all of a sudden our, our community caught wind and, and they've been selling like crazy. And, and so we've been just trying to kind of keep up with that demand as, as the, uh, the face mask demand grows. <laughs> I love that. I love that when I've been out, I mean, we're living in a big bike boom right now too. And so sure. a lot of people been out riding bikes. I typically will wear a gator around my, around my neck just while I'm riding. But then if I'm passing someone, you're on a trail, you're too close to be able to give six feet 
So I pull up the gator over my mouth and nose as I'm passing out of courtesy uh, and uh, and then pull it back down afterwards. But I love the ear loops that you've added to that one there. It can kind of hold it up a bit. That's the tough thing with gators right now is that, you know, you pull it up a bit, but it's not going to stay up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this has been uh, kind of our big you know, product adaptation that we've added here in the last few months. And, and uh, again, kind of spawning just really, you know, something we wanted internally. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, so with so many things, we kind of make a few here in Pagosa or Bozeman, and then you might have them in sale locally at the retail and just kind of see how they go, you know, and yeah. then, and then, you know, if there's a demand there and things work out well, then we'll kind of, you know, do a bigger lot, put them online, that sort of thing. I dig it. Well, uh, just to wrap up, any um, cool trips planned for you? You headed up to Alaska. You got some hunting trips planned this fall. What's what's yeah. coming? You know, I wish I, uh, you know, I usually do. I, I continue to try and keep my foot in the door in the Alaska guiding scene. I try and guide at least one Denali trip a year. Um, I was on the mountain last summer and, and uh, you know, this summer they canceled all the permits for the mountain. And so the guide season was you know, pretty squashed this year. So I didn't go up there. I actually uh, had uh, my second baby this winter or this okay. fall. Spring. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the end of March, we had a little boy. And so that's been uh, keeping me rather busy <laughs> and, uh, awesome. and, and close to home. So it's been good. But I think, uh, yeah, we've just been, you know, like everyone trying to kind of recreate locally and, and keep out of everybody's hair. And I think, uh, I think our next big trips will probably be, you know, back to Bozeman and just kind of keeping our heads down, making products. All right, awesome. Well, it sounds like you got a, the, here's to the next generation of rippers, right? Totally, yeah, man, it's been fun. <laughs> awesome, well, hope you get some sleep. Great talking to you, Dustin. Yeah, thanks, Greg, I appreciate it. <laughs>